Worship team, thank you. What a beautiful, beautiful time of worship. Today is part two in our series, The Gospel-Centered Life. Our main scripture text is Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I will bless your name at all times. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I will bless your name at all times. The word gospel means good news. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Keep your finger there and turn over to Philippians chapter 1. Today is part two in our series, The Gospel-Centered Family. Again, the word gospel means good news. The gospel announces that life with God is now possible on earth through Jesus Christ. And that's why we sing songs of praise, songs of adoration, songs of worship. The gospel, when it takes hold of us, when the gospel takes a hold of our lives, the gospel changes our relationships first with God and then with our families. Our new life with God shapes our family values and priorities. The gospel shapes the way we love. It shapes the way that I love my wife, and it shapes the way my wife loves me. The gospel shapes the way we treat each other. The gospel shapes the way we forgive. Seven times 70. The gospel shapes the way we serve one another. Wash basin and servant's towel. It's all about the gospel of Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, he writes in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel of Christ. We cannot walk and live in righteous life apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ taking hold of our lives. It is the gospel of Christ, Paul writes, because it is centered in Christ. The gospel-centered family is a Christ-centered family. The word center means a point around which anything rotates or revolves. How the husband loves and serves his wife revolves around the gospel of Jesus Christ. How the wife respects, supports, and encourages her husband revolves around the gospel of Jesus Christ. How the parents parent their children revolves around the gospel of Jesus Christ. How the grandparents grandparent their grandchildren revolve around the gospel of Jesus Christ. How the single adult interacts relationally with the whole family revolves around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.27 is today's main scripture text and is our, is our theme verse for the entire series. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel 
of Christ. We'll, we'll come back to our main text in just a, a few minutes. And gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this gathering today. Thank you. Thank you that you are present with us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have sent, who walks alongside of us, who's our helper, our teacher. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would communicate your eternal truths, your absolute truths to us today from your holy word, that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word today. Lord, that we would be built up, that we would be edified, that we would be strengthened, that we would be convicted. Father, I pray through the preaching of your word that you would open hearts and minds, the good news, the gospel of Christ that saves. Oh, that there would be those here today who are searching, who are seeking. Oh, that they would encounter the power of the gospel that saves. We thank you. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is the history of creation. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We come to the Bible, to the very first book of the Bible, to the very first chapter and to the first verse, knowing there is a God, in the beginning God. In the beginning, God. The Bible tells us we can know God exists because of what we see in creation. Psalms 19.1 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Romans 1.20 says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Creation declares God exists. Atheists, agnostics, humanists, evolutionists are without excuse. Day one, God creates light. Day two, God creates sky and water. Day three, God creates land and sea. Day four, God creates sun, moon, stars. Day five, God creates fish and birds. Day six, God creates animals and, and humankind. He creates man. Humankind would be God's crown jewel of his creation. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let us make man in our image. Introduces us to the doctrine of the Trinity. God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God exists in an inseparable relationship shared between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is in their image, according to their likeness, we were created. We were created to be in relationship, to live as one with God and one with each other. 
Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Man was created in the image of God. He, he was created to mirror God in the visible. To be the photograph of God. I love photographs. I love family pictures. In fact, my kids, when they ask me, what do you want for Christmas? Photographs of the family. I just love family photographs. Man was created in the image of God. He was created to mirror God in the visible, to be the photograph of God. Verse 18 of Genesis 2 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, we read, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. God officiated the first wedding. He brought her to the man. Their marriage was truly a marriage made in heaven. In Genesis 2, verses 23 and 24, we read, and, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They were one with God and one with each other. They lived in perfect unity. Just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were made according to their image, according to their likeness. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coexisted in, in perfect unity. And the first man and the first woman lived in perfect unity, just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were inseparable, just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are inseparable. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God, in his creative order, establishes the family, man first, then woman, and then offspring. Man, woman, and offspring. Family is God's idea. It's not my idea. It's not your idea. It's no one's idea. It's God's idea. The goal of the biblical family, the goal of the gospel-centered family, is to be a unified, visible photograph of God. It's not a social institution alone. It's a spiritual institution for society. The family was not created by society. And so society cannot define the definition of family. The family was not created by society. The family was created by God to be a mirror of God for society. This helps us to understand why the family is under attack on so many fronts today. 
The command given to the first man and woman, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it, is a command to fill the earth with his image, to fill, fill the earth with, with his mirror, his photograph, and to take possession as God's stewards by ruling, governing over it under his authority and lordship. God decreed for man to have dominion over the earth. And this is such an important point here this morning. Man's ability to affect his environment is no accident. It is part of God's plan for man under his lordship and for his glory. God decreed for man to have dominion over the earth. And so man's ability to affect his environment is no accident. It is part of God's plan for man. But under his lordship, under God's lordship, and for his glory and his glory alone. But because of the fall, because of sin, because of man's pride, people like Constantine and Stalin and Hitler wanted dominion over the earth, not for God's glory, but for their own glory. It's built in us to, to have dominion. God built that in us. But for his eternal purposes, for his glory and not our own. Built within us is the ability to affect our surroundings, the ability to affect our relationships. God put that ability within us, but the fall has corrupted it. Man uses this ability for his own self-interest and self-worship. We're all guilty, and that's why relationships suffer. Notice in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. The Hebrew word for God used here is Elohim. The word Elohim is the plural of El, which speaks and points to the Godhead, the three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the first name for God given. Elohim places emphasis on God's creative power. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But in Genesis chapter 2, the name Lord, Yahweh in Hebrew is used for God. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Throughout Genesis chapter 2, the emphasis is on the Lord God. Over and over again, our focus is drawn to the Lord God. Verse 8 of Genesis 2, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Verse 9, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Verse 15, then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and, and keep it. Let me pause there for just a moment. God provided Adam a home, Eden. It was a perfect home. And he also provided Adam a job, tend it and keep it. Work is God's idea. Verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. 
Verse 19, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. Verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. Verse 22, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. This is the first time that the Hebrew word Yahweh is used in the Bible. It's used over 6,800 times. Yahweh is the source of all being. The Lord God, Yahweh, made the earth and the heavens, according to verse 4. And the Lord God, Yahweh, formed man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being, according to Genesis 2-7. You see, Elohim displays God's power, and Yahweh displays God's provision, the source of all things. The Hebrew word Yahweh is built on the word for I am. In Exodus chapter 3, the Lord appeared to Moses. Many of you know the story in a burning bush. And he tells Moses that he was sending him to Pharaoh to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. He promised Moses that he would be with him. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses in Exodus 3, 14, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am sent me to you. I love that passage. I am sent me to you. Here's at least seven things the name Yahweh, I am, says about God. Number one, God never had a beginning. That can't be said of you or me. Number two, God will never end. He always was and always will be. Number three, God is independent. He depends on nothing to bring him into being. Number four, everything that God is, everything that is not God, everything that is not God depends totally on God. Number five, God is constant. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God cannot be improved. You and I can be improved, but God can never be improved. Number six, God is the absolute standard of truth and goodness and beauty. And number seven, God is the most important and most valuable reality and person in the universe, and he wants a relationship with you, with me. I am. Colossians 1.15 says, and he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. This was God's original design, purpose for the family. The family was to be a united, visible image, photograph, mirror of God. Sin shattered the glass. Marred the image. Smeared the photo. Jesus shocked the Jewish religious leaders when he declared himself to be I am, Yahweh. In fact, they were petrified to even use the name. He made eight I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. You see, Jesus came to restore what sin destroyed. 
God's image in the family. The family was created by God to be a mirror, a photograph of God for society. But the fall blurred the image of God. Jesus came to restore what sin destroyed. You see, the starting place for fixing the family is in fixing the inhabitants who live there. That's what the gospel does. Paul says it is the power of God unto salvation. That's good news, church. The gospel is the announcement that life with God is now possible on earth through Jesus Christ. The gospel, as I shared earlier, when it takes hold of us, changes our relationships, first with God and then with our families. His image can be restored. His original purpose can be fulfilled. The Christian family can be a mirror of God for society. God's plan for the family is to populate his image and rule, govern, affect society with God's power and with God's provision for God's glory, the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation. This is God's dream for you. This is God's dream for you, and this is God's dream for your family. It's not the American dream. The American dream is not God's dream for us. To reflect God's image. To populate the earth, to populate society with his image. With his mirror. With his photograph. That's heaven's dream. For us. For every person, for every marriage, for every family. It's not the American dream. This is God's dream. Biblically speaking, man is one who submits to God's authority. God didn't have a beginning. I did and you did. Biblically speaking, man is one who submits to God's authority, who's dependent upon the one who's independent. He didn't need any help coming into existence. He always existed. God gave man a home, Eden. God gave man a job, tend and keep it. God gave man a commandment, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God gave man a wife. God gave man and woman a mission, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it. Jesus says it this way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven in Matthew 5, 16. Our light is the image of God we were originally created in and now in Christ recreated. You are my workmanship in Christ Jesus, created or recreated for good works. Here's a Pastor Pat paraphrase of Matthew 5, 16. Let the image of God so shine before men through your family that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Christian families are to model what unconditional love looks like. What it means to forgive 70 times 7. We're recreated in Christ to be a photograph of God for society. Something happened in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Please follow along as I read. 
Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Two things happened. Eve is deceived. Eve is deceived, and Adam disobeyed. Here's a big truth for us today. Deception and disobedience produces death and destruction. Deception and disobedience produces death. Death and destruction. Now, Eve and Adam are together in the garden. The home God provided for Adam. Adam knew the command God had given him not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yet, it is obvious he did nothing to stop Eve. He could have said, my love for God overrules my love for you. No, Eve. No, Eve. You can't eat the fruit from that tree. I'm not going to let you eat it. I'm not going to eat it. God commanded us not to eat it. It appears that Adam failed to be the spiritual leader in his marriage. It's as if Satan turns the roles around. Eve assumes the role of leader. She took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her. And he ate. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. In the gospel, there is equality between husband and wife. In Galatians 3.28, the Apostle Paul writes, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In the gospel, there is equality. The ground at the cross is level. And that's why Paul writes in Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of God, because the ground at the cross is level. But even though there is equality, there are still different functions, different roles within the family structure. These specific roles are designed by God, the author, the maker of the family. Now let's keep in mind, God in his creative order establishes the family, man, woman, and offspring in that order. The goal of the biblical family, the, the gospel-centered family, is to be a unified, visible photograph of God whose image we are made in. The family was made in the image of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Godhead shares equality. They are one. They are inseparable. They coexist in perfect harmony, in perfect unity, but they have different functions. The Father planned salvation. The Son accomplished salvation on the cross. The Holy Spirit applies salvation. 
Like the Godhead, the husband and wife share equality. They have become one flesh, but they have different functions. As the head of woman, the husband is protector. He is to lead spiritually by example, like Paul, who said, follow me as I follow Christ. The husband is to lead his wife by mirroring the image of Christ. The wife is to follow her husband's lead as he follows Christ. Her function is one of helper. God said in Genesis 2.18, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit submit to each to each other's functions, so too the wife submits to the role, the God-given function of her husband, mirroring the image of God as well. In decision-making, the wife brings a God-fearing woman's perspective to the table. And gentlemen, we need that. She provides valuable wisdom. We need that. As together, we discern God's will. The wife helps the husband make decisions that will honor God. We'll talk more about this in greater detail as we continue to progress in this series. Here in Genesis 3, it's as though Satan turned the roles around. Eve appears to assume the leadership role. In Genesis 3, 6, it says she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. It appears that Adam followed her lead. Now, we don't know why. Did Adam neglect his function, his role? Sometimes that's the case. A Christian husband or a Christian father neglects his function as the spiritual leader, so he leaves his wife no choice but to assume his function. We actually have examples of this in the Old Testament Scripture. This causes stress and tension within the home because it's not the way that God designed it to be. Did Eve resist his leading? Sometimes that is the case. A Christian wife wants to be in control. She doesn't want to submit. This causes stress and tension within the home. The point being expressed today, and we'll dive deeper into this as we progress in the series, but the point being made, when things get out of God's divine order, things begin to break down. It's true of everything but it's magnified in the family. When Paul writes, submitting to one another in the fear of God, I believe we are being instructed to recognize each other's roles, functions within the marriage and family structure that's been designed by God. Our submitting to each other teaches us ultimately to submit to God. And that's why it's important for children to, to obey their parents, to submit to their parents' authority. Why did God establish that instruction for our children? Because it teaches them ultimately to submit to the authority of God, to obey God. Here's a big truth. God gave Adam a commandment not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The moment we stop submitting to God's authority, we will stop obeying his word. And when we do, we give place to the devil. We give Satan authority over our marriage and over our family. And when we do, things begin 
to get stressful, there's tension, and things begin to break down. Someone say, help me, Lord. Remember the tale of the three little pigs? I kept thinking of, of this tale. The three pigs built homes. All three pigs used different material. There was a big bad wolf. The big bad wolf goes to the first house and says, little pig, let me come in. No, no, not by the hair on my chinny chin chin, says the pig. You remember? Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And so the big bad wolf huffs and puffs and blows the house down because it was built with straw. Not a good building material. The big bad wolf goes to the second house and says, little pig, let me come in. No, no, not by the hair on my, says the pig. Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And so the big bad wolf huffs and puffs and blows the house down because it was built out of sticks. Not good building material. Then the big bad wolf goes to the third house and says, little pig, let me come in. No, no, not by the hair on my, says the pig. Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And so the big bad wolf huffs and puffs to no avail. He blows and he blows to no avail. He huffs and he puffs. He blows to no avail. Why? Because the house was built out of bricks. Good building material. Church, the enemy huffs and puffs on our homes. Christian homes are his main target. He huffs, he puffs, and he blows on our marriages, on our families. What foundation are you building your marriage and family on? Are you submitting to each other's role and function as designed by God, the way God designed? What material are you using? Are you following God's design? Are you following his blueprint, his word? Because when you do and the big bad devil comes... And he huffs and he puffs and he blows. He's going to have nothing but hot air. Because your house is built on God's truth that is eternal. Nothing can shake God's truth. Nothing can penetrate God's truth. Nothing can break apart God's truth. Nothing. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul's admonishment in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. As I prepare to close, let's return to our main scripture text. 
And next week, we're going to expound a little bit more on Philippians 1.17. It's our main, it's our theme scripture verse for the entire series. Paul writes, in this verse I'm reading from the NIV, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does it look like to live life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? If you received an outline today, I actually typed seven or eight things. This is not an exhaustive list. Number one, live to be a unified, visible photograph for God. After all, the, the gospel of Christ has grabbed hold of us. Two, it's dying daily to oneself and being raised with Christ in newness of life. Three, it's living grace-filled lives that grants patience and mercy and gentleness in our relationships. We all have idiosyncrasies we all bring to the Lord's table. Don't we? I sure do. For living a life worthy of the gospel does not mean pretending everything is perfect in our relationships. Instead, it's having the humility to think of others as better than ourselves. Only the gospel can influence us to think that way. Five, it means supporting and celebrating the different functions we have been assigned by God's design within the family structure, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Support, celebrate our different functions within the family structure, knowing that our good, good father knows what's best. Six, it means walking in love and forgiveness. Seven, it means being faithful regardless of the situation. Paul's writing this letter from prison. He's writing this letter in a place of hardship. And he's telling the Philippians, you're going you're gonna to have hardship. You're going to face difficult situations as you follow Christ. But walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. Be faithful regardless of the situation. Be faithful. Be faithful. It means looking out for the interest of others. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 9, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The foundation. The motivation of a life of humility is the example of Jesus Christ's humble life and sacrificial death on the cross. A life of humility, a life of service, a life of sacrifice for others is based on the cross of Christ, the gospel of Christ. The gospel-centered family tries hard by the grace of God to think like Christ. Are you thinking like Christ in your marriage? Are you thinking like Christ 
in your family dynamics. When we forgo our own way to stand together, united in Jesus Christ, our glorious, wonderful Savior, we make the gospel look really, really big and valuable to the unbelieving world. They'll know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. We give witness to the gospel's worth. That's God's will for every single Christian. Whether you're a Christian adult who's single, whether you're married, raising a family, whether you're a child, a teenager, that's God's perfect will. To spread his image, his mirror, his photograph around the world. And to have dominion, to rule in his power and provision. In other words, to influence and affect our surroundings all for his glory and eternal purposes. Would you join me standing? The last two Sundays has really been laying the groundwork. The scriptures have a lot to say about the family. And I hope and pray that every single person, whether you're a single adult, married, soon to be married, a husband and wife, expecting your first child, maybe you're raising five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten children, whether you're a grandparent or a great-grandparent, we have all those dynamics here, Greece Assembly of God. What a healthy church we have. We need each other, amen, from the youngest to the oldest and everyone in between. God designed it that way. He knows what he's doing. How many would say here today, Pastor, I need, I need something from God for my life. I need something from my marriage from God today. I need something from my family today. God, I need something. How many would say that here today? God, I need something. As the worship team leads us in this song, I encourage you right now where you're standing to cry out to God. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. He's interested in you single adult. He's interested in you, married couple. He's interested in you, family. He's interested in you, mom and dad, children. He is interested in you, grandma, grandpa, great-grandma, great-grandpa. He is interested in you. Call on his name. Call on his name. Call on his name. His grace, his might, his power, his strength is available. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies are available for you today. Call on his name.